Uh, can you please turn with me to Acts chapter 13? Acts chapter 13, on page triple one zero. You have an outline of where we're going on one of the handouts you received as you came in, on the inside of that handout, so that's helpful. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. Um, and uh, Acts 13, page triple one zero. Right, let's pray as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of truth. And we thank you that every promise that you make uh, has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that uh, by raising him from the dead, the promises that you made to uh, our forefathers, uh, the people of Israel, are now fulfilled in Christ. Our Father, we pray that you help us as we uh, look at your word now. Uh, we pray that you help us to see uh, your goodness, your faithfulness, uh, and we pray that you help encourage us uh, so that we will press forward uh, with your gospel. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1956, these five men, those pictures are about to come up on the screen, Okay, these five men went to evangelize a tribe of American Indians in Ecuador. They were godly, gifted young men. Much prayer and preparation had taken place. But they never got to tell those American Indians about the Lord Jesus. Because in a bizarre set of circumstances... They were killed by the tribesmen before they were able to do so. It was a great setback in the cause of the gospel, wasn't it? Now, in our passage today, we will see some setbacks on Paul's first missionary trip. Coupled with that, we will see some great strides forward as the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. And we will see why we can be confident, whether we face setbacks or advances, in the spread of the gospel. Before we do that, let me remind us where we're up to in the book of Acts. Remember, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we saw that Jesus is the great king. He was risen from the dead, and he was a king that God had promised to Israel. And so the message about Jesus, the gospel, was, was actually initially only preached to the people from Israel. Uh, at first, in Jerusalem, the capital of the southern part of the, uh, of the nation, and the people in Jerusalem and in that whole area around Judea were called Jews. And then it went to the Samaritans, people from the northern part of the nation, half-caste, if you like. These had been divided a thousand years beforehand, but God had promised in the Old Testament to eventually bring them together under his king. And so people from the north and people from the south came under King Jesus as they submitted to his rule. Not, not everyone, mind you, in fact, not even the majority, but certainly not the Jewish leadership. But those who were true Jews, those who really did belong to God's people, came in under King Jesus. And so through Jesus, Israel was restored. 
But God's plan was even bigger than restoring Israel. It was even bigger than bringing Israel under her rightful king. Because God had plans for the whole world. And his plan involved the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Our Gentiles are people who are not Jews, not even Samaritans. People like, people like most of us here, who don't have a drop of Israelite blood in us. And it was a really radical idea, it was a really radical thing that, 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 that people outside Israel should actually be part of, of, of God's kingdom. And so back in chapter 10, God did extraordinary, miraculous things so that Peter would realize that Jews could be saved by trusting Jesus. The Gentiles could be saved by trusting Jesus without becoming Jews. And then in chapter 11, we saw Jerusalem church come to accept this. And the first big Gentile church started in, in, in Antioch. And in the first half of chapter 13, God, through that Antioch church, sent Paul and Barnabas with a team out from Antioch to preach the gospel around the Mediterranean. <coughs> now, they went up from Antioch, and we can see, that's their, you see up there? Oh yeah, there's their starting point. And uh, last week, the beginning of chapter 13, we saw them go down to Salamis, and then down across Cyprus to Paphos. Right? And that's where they met that Sergius Paulus, the Roman uh, proconsul, uh, who was together with his Jewish um, magician, uh, who opposed the gospel, and Paul had to oppose him, struck, and he was struck blind, and the Roman consul, proconsul became a believer. Now, in today's passage, the missionary band move on to the next place. Uh, in verse 13, we see that they set sail from Patphos and came to Persia. In Pamphylia, you can see Persia up there in that little, in that little cove, yeah? And that is where they, they uh, encounter the first setback in this chapter. Because in the second half of that verse we read, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John, also called Mark, decided to abandon them and go home. We're not told why. We don't know if it's for a good reason or not at this stage. We're not told how the rest of the team feel about it at this stage. But it's always a bit disappointing, isn't it? When someone leaves the team. A bit of a setback. In fact, later on in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas would argue about whether or not to take him back. Run the risk of another, of another defection. See, friends, things weren't all plain sailing for that first missionary team. They had setbacks. We'll see a number of them this, 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 uh, this passage. And you know, as we go out with the message of Jesus, as we form our teams to bring the gospel to KL and beyond, we will have our setbacks too. In fact, we've already experienced some of them. And this should not be surprising. It should never be surprising. It's just part of serving God in this fallen world. The missionary team had setbacks. John Mark left them. And yet God is still in control here. 
Jesus is still the one who is building his church. Jesus is still the one who is reaching the nations. And he's even going to bring good out of this desertion. We don't see it here, this passage. Neither do the rest of the disciples, certainly not the people on the team. Only later on we'll realize when we get there. And they don't realize either. And yet still, look at their response, verse 14. But they went on. They went on. The response to this setback was not to say, ah, oh, well, well, turn around and go home. Because obviously God's not blessing this trip. They pressed on. Despite the setback, despite the disappointment, they went on to make the gospel of Jesus known. And friends, that's exactly what we are to do when we face setbacks. You know, sometimes, sometimes we Christians can be a bit silly about some of these things. Yeah? When things are going smoothly, we think, oh, well, God must be guiding us in this direction. And when there are setbacks, we think, oh, maybe it's not God, God's will to do what we're doing. But, but brothers and sisters, we can't read God's will off our circumstances. We really can't. We don't know why God does certain things and why he doesn't. We're not privy to that. We can speculate, but we can so easily get it wrong because we went on omniscient. And it's so easy to fall in the trap of taking setbacks and saying, oh, God is saying, I don't want you to do this. And when things seem to be going well, we take it as, as God's approval. But it may not be. If you're doing that, then please stop. Stop. It's, it's not biblical. If the first missionaries had been thinking that way, then they'd have turned back right here. The guidance we can be sure about is the guidance in God's Word. Well, don't try and read off circumstances. Rejoice in progress. Don't be afraid of setbacks. Persevere with the Gospel. And after the setback, the next thing we read about is an advance. Verse 14, But they went on from Persia and came on, and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now let's have a look at the map again. Uh, Antioch in Pisidia, here we go, is all the way up here. Now don't get that confused with the other Antioch. There's another Antioch here. Right? There's a few Antiochs around the place. That's the Antioch in Syria. That's the Antioch in Pisidia. So, it's known as Pisidian Antioch in some, uh, in some versions. They wait till the Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, and then in verse 14, they go into the synagogue. Oh, that's the place where the Jews would meet every Saturday to hear God's word and to pray. Not just Jews, but some Gentile, the people who are called God-fearers. People, they, these God-fearers worship the God of Israel. They didn't get circumcised or follow the ceremonial laws. Uh, they joined the Jews for hearing God's word and prayer, but they wouldn't have been allowed if they went to Jerusalem into the temple. Now, the Jerusalem synagogue, no, sorry, the Jewish synagogue, those days had a bit of an open mic kind of practice. Right? So after the reading of the scriptures, members of Paul's team who were visiting were invited to say a few words. And so Paul takes up the offer. Because he wants to tell about Jesus, isn't it? Right? And to show these Jews and God-fearers that, that Jesus is the culmination, fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. 
You see, what Paul's doing is he's looking for gospel opportunities. He purposely puts himself in that situation, in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, knowing that's what's going to happen. Purposely so, he might be invited to say something. And he's ready to take the opportunities as they come. Now, friends, we're not missionaries to a new place like, like Paul and Barnabas, but we could probably take a leaf out of their book, can't we, in this kind of thing. We can put ourselves in conversations or situations where we might be asked a question that might lead us to being able to speak about Jesus. Someone at work might say, oh, how's your weekend? Don't miss Sunday morning bit of it. Right? Tell them how good it was to be at church on Sunday. See where the conversation goes from there. Or on a Friday you get to work and your eyes are a bit tired and they say, how come? I was oh, I went to Selgrim last night. It was really good. Maybe you could say something you learned from your Bible on, on, the, on your Facebook status. Or tweet about it, if you tweet. Not a long, long, scary thing, right? Just something that might get a conversation going. You never know. You can tell your friends that you've been busy because you're studying for an exam. And they go, what exam? You're doing an MBA or something? They say, no, 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 no. I'm doing this course called Promise to Fulfillment. And it's astounding how all the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. Oh, really? See if you can put yourselves, let's see if we can put ourselves in places of opportunity. Pray for openings. Be ready to speak when the opportunities arise. At least, even if we can't find the words to speak, we can point people to where they can get that message, can't we? We can't speak ourselves? Oh, yeah. There's books, there's tracks, there's MP3s, there's guest nights, there's church services. We can always invite or pass something to people. But what do we speak about? Or what do we tell them? Or what do we give them about? What's the information we want to pass to them when the opportunities come? What is the content of the gospel, the message that needs to go out? Because, because, uh, because if we want to see the gospel advance, we need to be very, very clear about what it is, don't we? And friends, the gospel we see here, proclaimed by the Apostle Paul, is all about Jesus. Now, it's not about you and me or our experience. Now, there may be helpful things to share as we try to build bridges toward the gospel, but it's not the gospel itself. It's not about getting more money or better health or having our problems solved. The gospel's about Jesus. Who he is, what he did, what we need to do in response. And so in verses 16 to 41, the Apostle Paul proclaims the gospel of Jesus to the people in the synagogue. But, because of time, we're not going to examine the details of that today. We'll just fly over it quickly. So let me just tell you quickly what he says. They're a synagogue crowd, so they, they know the story of the Old Testament. So Paul starts there by telling about Jesus. He reminds the people of Israel's history. God chose their forefathers, he said. He saved them from the land of Egypt. Brought them to the promised land. Gave them judges, and then King Saul to rule them, and finally gave them King David, a man after his own heart. And finally, a saviour, King Jesus, descendant of David. People in the synagogues would probably have heard of John the Baptist. And so, Paul talks about John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist had prepared the way for Jesus. 
But he knew and proclaimed that Jesus was, was far greater than he was. He told people that. And then when Jesus came, well, the Jews in Jerusalem and their leaders rejected him. But really they had no excuse because the Old Testament was full of references to Jesus. Over and over again it spoke of him. But they didn't see it. Every Sabbath they read the scriptures that spoke of him. But they just didn't get it. And instead, they condemned him. He wasn't guilty of anything deserving death, and yet they killed him anyway. They handed him over to the Roman governor, had him executed. And by doing so, Paul said, they fulfilled the very prophecies that they were ignoring. Yet in spite of that setback, God raised him from the dead. He appeared to many witnesses. And so all the things God had promised their forefathers, he fulfilled by raising Jesus. Jesus was the king promised back in Psalm 2. Through him the promises to David would be fulfilled as promised in Isaiah 55. For by his resurrection he was shown to be the Lord, promised in Psalm 16. Therefore, Paul told the people of the synagogue that day, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is offered. What the law of Moses cannot free you from, he said. The penalty and the guilt of sin. Jesus can. You can be justified, declared right with God, by faith in him. So don't be like the scoffers, Paul says. Scoffers were there in the Old Testament, and they will be there in the New, who refuse to believe God's word. Warns the people in the synagogue. And, that, and that's the, the essence of what he says. And friends, that message is as true for you and me as it was for the people in the synagogue that day once, isn't it? We can be forgiven and freed if we turn to the Lord Jesus. Also scoff, but believe. You see how the gospel is, is all about Jesus? That he's the one who was promised. He is the one who died and rose again. He is the one who offers forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, if you're sharing the gospel with your non-Christian friends, you, you may include or exclude certain things. Right? Paul doesn't explain here what sin is, does he? Because, well, they're all synagogue goers. They would have known that anyway. We may need to do that. They might have been wondering how John the Baptist fits in. Most of our friends aren't thinking about John the Baptist, so... Maybe you want to leave that bit out. You need to work out how much background people have, huh? As we're sharing the gospel. But, the gospel itself is unchanging. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the king that God promised. Jesus died for our sins and was raised again. And through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is offered to all who believe in him. Well, what happened when Paul preached the gospel in Pisidian Antioch? There was a, there was a positive response. Right? It's a wonderful thing, because many actually were keen to find out more. They wanted them to come back. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. That's, that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Right? So come, come, come back next week. Come back, come back. We really, really want you to come back. Those, whether they... All were believers, or whether they were 
thinking, I want to find out more. Both those people were saying, come back. There certainly were some who were believers, because in verse 43, it says that after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? And then, what happens next week? Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. So from an opportunity to preach the gospel in the synagogue, they go and say, hey, hey, come, come hear about this, come hear about this. There's huge crowds there. Now what's a big advance for the gospel? Just a hint. No need to bring the whole city to smack next week. Right? Just one person will do. One person each. Alright, how about that? Well, let me warn you. When the gospel advances, you also get opposition. The gospel itself attracts opposition. Attention attracts opposition. And so you get, we have our second setback. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. That's, that's human nature, isn't it? People don't like it when someone else seems to be successful. Those of you, um, there's this, in, in Australia they have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard of tall poppy syndrome? If something goes, someone becomes very successful, what you want is cut them out. Right? Um, Paul, there was advance here, there was success here. Uh, Paul, but, but, but Paul was talking about their God to all these people from the whole city. It's their God. Their religion. And people previously weren't, weren't listening to them. See that? And he's not only he's talking about their God, but he's saying other things about their God, which, which, well, they don't believe. And they began to contradict him. Perhaps it was a bit like this. Paul would say, look, Psalm 2 was fulfilled in Jesus. And before he could finish, he'll say, no, 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 no. It was just about Solomon. And he'll say, but God, God, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then he'll say, no, 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 there must be another explanation. And Paul would say, you can be forgiven through Jesus from, from everything the law couldn't forgive you, for, couldn't justify you or free you from. And they say, no, the, the, the law was God's law. We're obliged to keep it, including the Gentiles. So Paul stopped talking all this rubbish. Uh, we know that we're saved if we keep the law. And as far as Jesus is concerned, it's all a lot of hogwash. If you really want to obey God, you'll tell those Gentiles out there to get circumcised and become Jews like us. Stop talking like this, Paul. And all people out there, don't listen to him. Listen to us. We've, we've been talking about this Old Testament stuff for much longer than he has. See, the Jews in the city were given the gospel first. But many decided to reject it. And not only reject it, but to try and stop its advance. They opposed it. Just like the Jews back in Jerusalem had done. And so Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly against them. Verse 46. It was necessary, was necessary, that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. See, they had a chance. They were the ancient people to whom God's promises came. But they rejected it. 
And so Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles. And that would be their pattern wherever they went to preach the gospel. First to the Jews, offer it to them. And when the majority of Jews rejected it, they would go to the Gentiles. And so here you have another setback, don't you? But it's only a setback as, as far as we can see with human eyes. Because God's plan was actually advancing. Because God's plan all along was for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. He'd spoken of this back in the Old Testament. Paul and Barnabas quote, in verse 47, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, can I get you to uh, put a finger or a bookmark or something in uh, Acts 13? Turn with me back to our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 49. It's on page 737. Because that's a quote. Paul's quoting this passage. This passage was written 600 years before Jesus. Accurately describes him. It's a passage that's leading up to the passage that many of you know in Isaiah 53, which describes Jesus' death and resurrection. And here he's introduced as the servant. Servant of the Lord. And it's in his voice that Isaiah poetically speaks. 49 verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Gentiles, isn't he? People from afar, the coastlands. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made a sword, my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow and a quiver, he hid me away. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The servant is, in one sense, Israel. Because, because Jesus is the true Israel. He's the fulfillment, the climax, the, the only perfect one of the category, the, the people of God. But, there is a problem. Because the servant's work seems worthless. Verse 4, but I said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. A big setback. It was like, it's useless. It's been in vain. Yet my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. See, he's, he's had this major setback, but he still trusts God. And God speaks to his situation. Verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel will be gathered to him. See, he's not just Israel. He's also an individual who restores Israel. And his purpose is to bring Israel back to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's too light a thing. I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God's plan for the servant was bigger than Israel. Yes, he would restore Israel, but it was bigger. And yes, he'd have setbacks. Yes, he'd have difficulty and disappointment. The cross was evidence of that. And the kind of rejection that the gospel message was getting from the Jews is just further 
icing for the cake, really. Yes, he would restore Israel. Israel was restored in the very self of the Lord Jesus. But here in the book of Acts, we've seen how the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms are brought together as under his sovereign rule, as, as people both sides come under his, his rule. He's restoring Israel, the servant, acting through his servants. And yet, that is still too small for who the servant is. He would be a light to the nations, that the salvation of God will go to the ends of the earth, Isaiah says. And remember, at the beginning of Acts, that's, that's exactly what Jesus told his apostles, isn't he? Take the message to Judea, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Like Isaiah says. The gospel will go to the Gentiles. See, God was still in control, even when it looked like a setback. Got to go to the Jews first, storing Israel. Next stage, Gentiles. And the response to the Gentiles, well, that was fantastic. That's a great advance. They're so grateful and happy to be, to be part of God's kingdom. Back to Acts 13. We're now at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. Friends, you know, sometimes we Gentiles forget what a great privilege it is to be part of God's people. It really is. We tend to take it for granted, don't we? We, Of course we think the gospel is for us. Of course salvation is won by Christ and the cross is for us. Sometimes we even think we've done God a favor by accepting it. But friends, don't take it for granted, will we? Don't take Jesus for granted. Don't forget to be thankful that, that even we Gentiles can get in through faith in Him. He's the King of Israel. And yet we've been grafted in. Be filled with awe and wonder that, that your Savior bled and died even for you. And can it be that I, even I, should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Thank God that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles, that it's going to the ends of the earth, and has even reached Gentiles like you and me. Rejoice in the gospel. And, like these guys here, glorify the word of God. How do you glorify the word of God? You make it known, don't you? So people know how wonderful it is that God fulfilled his promises in Jesus by giving him to die on the cross for us and and raising him from the dead. Glorify the gospel by making it famous. And as we do, the last bit of verse 48, as many as were appointed to eternal life will believe. As many as appointed to eternal life believe. That little bit of that verse instantly helps us to clear up an issue. Because there's lots of people nowadays who seem to be confused whether we believe because God has chosen us or God chooses us because he knows we're going to believe. That makes sense to the question? Does God choose us because he knows we're going to believe or do we believe because he chooses us? And the First gives a clear answer to that question, doesn't it? As many as were appointed 
to eternal life believed. Those whom God has chosen believe. That's, that's how it works. God is sovereign. He appoints who will get eternal life. We are responsible. Those who believe get eternal life. We are, both those things are happening. God is still sovereign. We are responsible for our actions. Put them together and you get this verse. As many as appointed to eternal life believe. And friends, that is why we can be confident in spite of many setbacks. Because whether we face a setback, or whether we get a positive response to the gospel, it's okay. God is in control. And as many as are appointed to eternal life, we believe. We just take out the message. And we don't have to manipulate people, or force people, or pressure people. Because that's in God's hands, isn't it? And so the Gentiles believed in Jesus. They rejoiced that they could come in. And they glorified the message by making it known. As many who were appointed to eternal life believed. And so in verse 49, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the entire region. And what looked like a setback turned out to be and advance. The opposition of the Jews turned out into great blessing for the gospel and the Gentiles. But then, once again, success spread opposition. Because that's what happens. And when the word of God spread throughout the entire region, people who didn't like it attacked it. And so we have a third setback, deportation, in verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of the district. See, these, these, these guys had friends in high places. And it's hard, isn't it, to fight with people who've got connections. It's true in our country. It's true back there as well. The Jews pulled strings. And Paul and Barnabas were deported. And all the success they had was cut short. The word of God was spreading and now it was hindered. They didn't get to stay with the people they were reaching and teach them and help them and help them grow to maturity in Christ. They were just sent off. Because the city had rejected them. How did they respond to this setback? Well, their response was twofold. External and internal. Externally, in verse 51, they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. Like shaking the dust on their feet. When a Jew left a Gentile place, and when he was going back into the promised land, what they'll do is they'll shake the dust off their feet. Why? Because they say, look, that's all contaminated. Right? We don't want to be part of them. They're under the judgment of God. We just shake the dust and go back in. Now, Jesus told his disciples when they were out on the mission in Jewish villages, if people, people, people uh, reject the message, shake the dust off your feet and go off. And here, the, these guys, these guys do it here as well. See, shaking the dust is a graphic sign that those who have rejected the message are under God's judgment. We don't want to share in that. Paul and Barnabas had given the gospel to the Jews. They had rejected it. 
They'd given the whole city a chance to repent. The city as a whole rejected it. And of course, lots of people would accept it, but most people hadn't. And the city authorities expelled them, so shake the dust and move on. Take the gospel elsewhere. Because the gospel is so important, so good. One group of people don't want it. One city doesn't want it. One tribe doesn't want it. Well, let them be. Find someone else who will. That was their excellent response. Internal response might have been one of discouragement. I mean, it would be pretty discouraging. I'd be pretty discouraged. I'd be pretty upset if the gospel ministry was going really well somewhere and then I got moved somewhere else. But the disciples weren't discouraged. They knew that God was in control. Jesus really is Lord. He is the Lord of his church. He's the one who is the servant. He's the one who is reaching the Gentiles through them. And so they were, in verse 52, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had made them into people who were happy to be persecuted. Happy to be deported. Okay, that's alright. We don't mind the rejection. As long as we're doing the work that Jesus gave us to do. And so off they went to Iconium to start telling people about Jesus all over again there. And the gospel advanced to the next city. And we'll look at that next week. So friends, what have we learned today? Well, lots of things. Let me remind you of three big ones. Firstly, we've been reminded that the gospel is all about Jesus, haven't we? It's about his life, his death, his resurrection. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises. And we proclaim the good news of forgiveness of sins through him. And we do so with confidence. Because we know that God is sovereign. And whether or not we face opposition, he is taking his gospel to the ends of the earth. And all he has appointed to eternal life will believe. Secondly, we've been reminded that we as Gentiles are privileged to be in the kingdom. The gospel was first for the Jews, then for us. And yet God has always planned for his servant to bring his light to the nations. That was the plan in Isaiah. In fact, that was the plan way back from the beginning of the whole plan. Genesis 12, when the whole plan begun, begins, God already tells Abraham that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. God has fulfilled that plan because God is sovereign. And so we're thankful that, that we too can be part of this kingdom of Israel's king. That we who were once far away are now part of God's people. It is a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. And in response, like those Gentiles, we rejoice and we seek to glorify the word of God by making it known. And finally, we are reminded that setbacks are part of gospel ministry. Desertion, opposition, deportation, persecution, all setbacks that the first missionary team faced. And yet God was still advancing his gospel. We will face setbacks as well, brothers and sisters, we will. But God is sovereign. 
Jesus is in control as his gospel goes out. He is fulfilling his promise to bring the gospel to the nations. Remember those five men we heard about at the beginning? God used their martyrdom to save the tribe. The wife of one, the sister of another, were among people who went back to the same tribe with the gospel. The whole tribe was converted. And thousands and thousands of people around the world have been encouraged into missions through their story. Now, we may not be able to see the purpose of many of the setbacks that we see, that we have as clearly as that. Some setbacks may be a mystery for us, this side of eternity. But we do know that God is sovereign. We do know that Jesus is in control as his gospel goes out. So whether in setback or in advance, he is fulfilling his purpose to bring the gospel to the nations. Thank God that we can be part of that.